Good morning and welcome to worship this morning. It's great that the sun's finally come out after all the rain and it's great to have you with us. I think a lot of our students are up to their ears in exams and dissertation writing at the moment, so we are a little fewer amongst our students today, but it's great to be here together. As our call to worship, we're going to use number 92 in the hymn book. If you could turn that up. Number 92. I will say the words in the ordinary type if you would join me in the words that are printed in bold type. That's number 92 in the red hymn book. Where could I go to escape from you? Where could I get away from your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I lay down in the world of the dead, you would be there. If I flew away beyond the east, or lived in the farthest place in the west, you would be there to lead me, you would be there to help me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, or the light round me to turn into night. But even the darkness is not dark for you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Gracious God, as springtime moves swiftly on towards summer, as the trees are in full leaf and parks and window boxes abound with flowers and as gardens and allotments abound with growing vegetables, We thank you for the wonder of plant life. As we enjoy the flavours of our favourite foods, as we anticipate the pleasure of a leisurely lunch, as we find refreshment in diverse food and drink, so we thank you for the abundance of year-round harvest and crops. And yet, even as we thank you, we are aware that we are far removed from the production of our food. Mostly, we will buy it in supermarkets or have it delivered. Mostly, we will give little thought to its source, focusing instead on a preferred brand or a best bargain. Help us to pause just fleetingly to consider where our food comes from. When Jesus walked the earth, he told us we need more than mere food and drink if we are to live life to the full, that our minds, souls and spirits also need to be fed. We thank you for this place where we can gather to listen for your voice in scripture, in preaching and teaching, in music, in prayer, in each other. God of seed time and harvest, who mysteriously brings forth the increase without us understanding how, accept our praises and our prayers. Feed us afresh with your truth, that we may live more worthily of him. 
for whom to do your will was food and drink. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. The first reading is from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the seed produces, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And John chapter 4, starting at verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, all who drink this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship 
in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now they harvest the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying One sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. a while now since I had this idea of marking Rogation Sunday this year in church. And at the time that I had the idea, I thought, well, we could think about what it means for us as people who live in a city to mark something that actually is largely outside our experience. There are people in church who have gardens and allotments, and of course we have the person who looks after the botanic gardens here with us. But for the most part... Most of us just go to the shops and buy what it is we need or want. There is a dislocation between the production and our consuming. And it would have been good to have spent some time exploring that. But as time went on and as I found the Bible readings that I thought were suitable, it seemed to me that actually the the old practice of beating the bounds was a better way in to where I thought we ought to be going in our thoughts today. The idea of walking the bounds of the parish to say, this far and no further. This is the boundary of our living. This is the safe place for us to be. But I wondered if we could understand that a little bit differently than just beating the bounds as marking out our territory What about boundaries that need to be beaten, to be overcome, 
to be transformed. The idea that within your parish you're safe is a fantastic idea and there's a lot we could think about there, about what that means to look after each other and look out for each other. And it would be useful to say to your growing children, look, that river's dangerous. If that tree, if you climb up it, you might fall out and hurt yourself. But it's a very one-way approach that sort of says, you stay inside here and this is for us. It can be just a place where we're safe and we're comfortable. But what about beating the bounds as overcoming boundaries, transforming boundaries? It seems to me that these two very different Bible readings, each of which talk about harvest and use agricultural imagery, help us to think about beating bounds as overcoming obstacles. My guess is that the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well is one of the best known in the Gospels. Actually, I seem to say that about every passage in the Gospels, don't I? But when I was at college, this passage was used in biblical studies. It was used in pastoral care classes. It was used in mission classes and even in classes on church history. It's a very well-known story. But I think it's worth us going and looking at it again to see how boundaries or barriers were overcome. It was the middle of the day. It would have been quite hot, I suspect, and dusty. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling and they're hungry. They arrive at a well. That's a good landmark, a great place to stop for your picnic. And Jesus sends the disciples off to go and buy the food. And he settles down on his own. Maybe he dozed off in the summer heat, who knows. And he heard somebody approaching the well. And as he looked up, it was the woman, all on her own, carrying a bucket. So this is the story of an encounter between two people, a man and a woman. might not seem very significant to us, but in the norms of those days, this was unthinkable. A man could not be left alone with a woman to whom he was neither married nor betrothed. And yet Jesus ignored that taboo and he spoke to her person to person. The first boundary that was overcome here was the boundary of gender. And I was reminded the other week when I was down south at the Bugby Women in Ministry Day that the first boundary that arrived when society, when people started to go away from God was the boundary between gender. If you read the Genesis story, the first dislocation is between man and woman. So Jesus overcomes that boundary, the boundary between male and female. But it's the woman who points out the next boundary that has to be overcome. She says, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We are of different races. And the writer of the fourth gospel explains that to us in case we didn't know. We do because we've heard the story before. But the original readers may not have known. Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. In fact, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. 
We think of sectarianism. That's what it was like. There was a real antagonism between Jews and Samaritans. So not only was this a woman, and not just a woman of another race, but she was a woman of that other race, the race with which Jesus should not associate Now, the reality is that a Jew and a Samaritan probably didn't look that different. Ethnically, they were of a very similar origin. But there was an invisible barrier created by centuries of distrust and hatred. So already in this story, just in a few lines, two barriers have been overcome. The barrier of gender and the barrier of race. And then, if we're honest, the conversation gets a bit strange. Jesus tells this woman that if she knew who he was, she'd ask him and he'd give her living water. Now, I think it's quite understandable that she's confused. She's gone off to the well to draw water, and a Jewish man who was sitting by the well had asked her for a drink. And now even though he hasn't got a bucket or any means of drawing water from the well, and there is no other visible source of water, he says, I can give you living water. Now, in the language and use of the time, living water would have meant like spring water or a waterfall or a river. It was bubbling water, water that was alive because it moved, rather than the still water that you would find in a well or a pond. So it's not actually surprising that the woman is confused. Who is this man? What's he on about? There's good water in the well. And yes, she draws it and she gets thirsty again. But this man says, I can give you water and you'll never be thirsty again. Can you imagine that? Never having to go out to the well and draw water to drink because you'd never be thirsty wouldn't have to go back out in the rain and the cold and the wind to carry the water, which was heavy, back to where you live. So she says, well, where can I get this water? It's like magic water. Where can I get it from? I'd love some of this water. That would be fantastic. Now, for us reading the story 2,000 years later, we know what the symbolism is. But for her, it was just weird. She's come to Jesus with a very literal understanding, and he talks in riddles. John's Gospel, I I always think of Jesus as a riddler. He talks in strange ways all the time, and you have to dig deep to try and work out what it is. I wonder if there's a barrier here about understanding. Jesus knows what he's on about, but this poor woman, she doesn't understand what he's on about. It's just totally incomprehensible. And while she's there, bemused and bewildered and wondering what all these riddles might mean, Jesus says, well, go and get your husband. Strange thing to say. And she said, well, I haven't got a husband. And Jesus says, well, no, you haven't. You've been married five times and the man you currently have, whatever that means, is not your husband. Now, 
I have lost count of the number of sermons I've heard where people say she was a whore, a harlot. It doesn't say that. Sermons that say she must have been a bit iffy because she was out at midday. It doesn't say that. Sermons that say she must have been divorced five times and now lived a sinful life. It doesn't say that. It says nothing about those five marriages. Maybe this woman has had five husbands who all died. Maybe, as the practice of the day permitted, she'd been divorced five times because she wasn't a very good cook and burned the dinner. If you look at first century Jewish practice, you could divorce your wife because she burnt your tea. Maybe she just didn't please them. She wasn't pretty enough. She wasn't clever enough. She wasn't whatever. We don't know. Maybe the man she now had saw her as a concubine. Or maybe she was a servant in this house and she didn't actually have a lot of choice about what went on. Maybe she had to obey the lusts of her master. Nobody actually tells us what her marital status was. We just know that the man she now lived with and presumably had sex with was not her husband. Jesus was a single man, as far as we know, a celibate single man. And he seems here to have broken down another barrier, another taboo about that of marital status. You see, in this story, he doesn't say, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, go and get married. He just makes an observation. I think I've had to learn to read that story differently and not put my 20th and now 21st century British interpretation on it. Jesus crosses a boundary about what is acceptable in terms of marital situations. It's a weird conversation, isn't it? A very weird conversation. And Jesus and this woman are interrupted when the disciples come back and they are so shocked that they are speechless when they see Jesus talking to a five times married, now cohabiting woman. They can't, she can't understand metaphor and she's a Samaritan. She's, you know, not great, is she? Foreign, female, thick, and cohabiting. And Jesus is talking to her. I'm not saying she was thick, I don't know that, but that's how it may have seemed. Now, just to try and get the idea of that, just imagine you arrived at church on a Sunday, and I was standing in here having a chat with a foreign man who wasn't educated, and he told me he had five failed relationships. Oh, and by the way, now he was living with another man. I think you might be equally speechless. You just don't get it. Jesus has crossed all these boundaries. And the woman leaves her water jar and she goes back to talk to her neighbours. Was that mere forgetfulness? Or was that a sign for those who could see that she intended to come back? In the meantime, Jesus has a very strange conversation with his disciples about food. 
Remember, they've been with him a long time. They surely have got used to the way he talks about his riddles and his miracles. As far as we know, they live in kind of normal families. But they can't understand what's going on either. But crying out loud, Jesus says, I'm not talking about literal food and drink. What nourishes me is doing what God has sent me to do. Look around you. It's like harvest time. The seeds have been planted, the seeds have grown, and they're ready to be gathered in. That's what you should be doing. I actually feel slightly sorry for Jesus at this point. He can see all these people who yearn for what he alone can offer, and yet those closest to him are so preoccupied with their practical human needs that they can't see it. He's just had, I think, what would have been a stimulating conversation with this woman, who's so far beyond the bounds that it's almost untrue. Whilst these men who tick all the boxes, they're Jewish, they're men, they've been with him, they understand, blah, 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 they don't get it. I think sometimes, whether we like it or not, we are cast in the role of the disciples who are very scared to cross the boundaries in case we get hurt or cause hurt, who are constrained by our cultural conditioning of what is normal and natural and moral, rather than trying to see as God sees. And yes, who, despite our best efforts, are sometimes so preoccupied with the practical business of everyday life that we can't always see what God calls us to do. This story has an amazing ending. It's possible this woman would have been seen as a bit beyond the pale, even by her own people, her own neighbours. But she goes and tells them what's happened. And they're so intrigued by what she has to say that they urge Jesus to stay there. And he does. He stays there for two days. And there will have been other conversations that nobody thought to write down for us. And yet we hear that after two days, many more came to believe in him. And they identify Jesus as the saviour of the world. This is before Jewish people have done so. This is before the crucifixion and resurrection. They have actually been able to see, if we believe John, what others could not yet see. What if Jesus had just walked away when that woman arrived at the well because custom said he shouldn't be on his own with her? What if he'd walked away when she had commented about his Jewishness because of the racial hatred that that implied? What if he'd given up when she couldn't understand all the riddles that he said? his metaphors, his complex ideas? What if he'd passed judgment on her domestic arrangements and sent her away? What would have happened if Jesus had just left those barriers and boundaries where they always were? And what if she had just accepted the barriers and boundaries as they always were and not taken the risk 
of talking to this man of another race, of another culture, who spoke in riddles and who seemingly knew her life story. You see, boundaries are important and they're useful to keep us from harm. But when they become barriers that stand between us and others who yearn for fulfillment, perhaps it's time to lower them or to blur them or even to tear them down altogether. So much about the John passage, but what of that mini parable in Mark that we heard first? A farmer went out and planted his seed, and then he just got on with his life until it was time for the harvest. I have a suspicion that this parable has got a lot to say to us about how we engage with the people who have the courage to cross the boundaries into our church or the people we dare to reach out to beyond the boundaries of our church. The man in the story doesn't keep going back into his field and planting more seed and more seed and more seed. And nor does he keep going back every five minutes to see if it has grown. He just gets on doing what he does. And somehow it happens. I think there are probably two extremes for us when it comes to sharing our faith with other people. Sometimes we're kind of scared to do it. We're afraid to do it. But I think there's another risk sometimes. I'm sure whether we're guilty of it, but perhaps we are. That we keep going back to the same people and the same places and and trying to plant more seed because perhaps the last one didn't work. and, And has it grown yet? And actually what this parable seems to say is you plant the seed... And then you trust God. You leave it to God. The seed grows silently whilst the man gets on with his business of being a farmer. And God's spirit will grow the seed in people's hearts while we get on with being who we are called to be here. Mark's gospel tells us that the kingdom of God grows like the seed does largely unnoticed as people go on with their daily lives. Might it be part of that silent, mysterious working happens when, like Jesus, we dare to beat the bounds that constrain us and others, allowing the gospel to flow like living water into a thirsty world. I wonder how we play our part as being a sign of the kingdom. I wonder how we might be being called to continually blur and lower our boundaries in ways that enable more and more people to experience an encounter with the Christ whom we name as Lord. Boundaries of gender. Boundaries of race. Boundaries of education. Boundaries of marital status. Boundaries of societal norms and mores, or mores, however you're supposed to say it. Jesus crossed them all. The question is, will we?
Our prayers this morning are adapted from the Baptist Union of Great Britain recommended intercessions for May 2011. Let's pray together. Lord, we would love to create you in our own image, to share our values and views, to be moved by what moves us, angers by what angers us, and to love what we love. But when you come to us in Christ, you're not what we expect. You ignore the barriers we have created to make us feel safe. Barriers that exclude those who cause us fear or offence. Barriers that prevent your children finding their way back to you. We cry for liberation and we pray that you would liberate the world in your way. But we see injustice and violence in the people of Libya, of Bahrain, in the Ivory Coast and in other places, some of which only you know. As we stand with these people, we cry for liberation and we long for you to act. We see people in Japan, in Spain and in other lands trapped in uncertainty, grief and fear after natural disaster. As we stand with these people, we cry for liberation and long for you to act. We see people whom we know imprisoned by bitterness and grief, harbouring resentment and hatred towards others, feeling that a big society is failing them. As we stand with these people, we cry for justice and long for you to act. Lord, come to liberate us. When we are trapped by the boundaries that we have made and the boundaries that we have grown into or the barriers that have grown slowly and silently around us. Come to us, we pray, and bring liberation, the freedom you have prepared for us. And open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, so that when you come, we recognize you. Even when your coming is not what we were expecting. Make us sensitive to the freedom you bring. Make us agents of liberation in your world today. Make us a people who stand as, alongside those who long to be free. Make us a people who overcome barriers to reach out in love. Make us a people who dare to cross barriers.
Make us a people who get on with living the kingdom until its coming is fulfilled. For we make our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. May we go from here, filled with the living water of God's Holy Spirit, to play our part in bringing forth the kingdom of mercy, bringing forth the kingdom of peace, bringing forth the kingdom of justice, bringing forth the city of God, this day and every day. Thank you.